0: I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Swim Podcast. Joining me today is a superstar. She's coming back to the pod. This is the first swimmer to compete in five Olympic Games, a 12-time Olympic medalist, and now the star of the latest SEC story documentary, Once Upon a Comeback. Today, we have Dara Torres.
1: Well, hi, Mel. So nice to see you.
0: I'm not going to miss any opportunity to talk to you. I'm to be honest with you. I got excited. I'm like, oh, we could talk to Derek again. We've got another reason. So you're the star of a documentary. This is well-deserved. Your, your, your story should be told over and over and over again but it's um, how long has this documentary been in the works?
1: So I had these sisters, Lisa Lax and Nancy Stern, they're twins. And they called me up one day um, on a sort of a conference call and asked if I would be interested in being the subject of an SEC story filmed. And they kind of explained to me what it meant and the different athletes that have done that in the past. And I think for me personally, first of all, having these two women who are, Incredible women—they've done so much in their career. They've won 16 Emmys, a Peabody, a Gracie—like the list can go on and on. And Lisa Lax actually worked at NBC Sports when I worked there, so I know who she is. And I've—I've—I don't know if I'd really met her sister, but they're twins, so who knows? Um, and uh, just the fact that they wanted to do this story on me—I was so honored and so humbled. Um, And I thought, you know what, if I can go out there and tell my story, and I've been through many ups and downs in my life, uh, many obstacles, many bumps in the road, you know, maybe it can help someone else. And And I don't feel like you have to be a swimmer to understand my story. You just have to live life to understand my story. And so hopefully it can help someone else out there with some of the things I've been through and how I sort of got through them.
0: Before we get into it, let's let everybody know. Once Upon a Comeback premieres Monday, February twenty second, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the SEC Network. We want everyone to tune in and uh, and and see this story. You know, your 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 career is it's been so long; it's so storied. Uh, oftentimes, people forget um, they forget all the details. It's just you you've accomplished so much. Uh, just for just as a quick refresh. Folks, Dara's been to five Olympic Games, 1984, 1988, 1992, 2000, and 2008. She's won nine SEC individual titles, was SEC Athlete of the Year in 1988. She has 12 Olympic medals, four gold, four silver, four bronze. She's tied with the most Olympic medals of any female, tied with Natalie Coughlin and Jenny Thompson, but we like Dara better because she's on this podcast right now. And so this is this is um, this is a big moment. How how long is the documentary?
1: The documentary is an hour. It took um almost a year to film it, to interview everyone involved and to edit it and put it together.
0: Wow. It's uh, you know, I haven't had the benefit of seeing it. I just heard about it and 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 started making requests. I'm like, please can I talk to Dara about this? Because <laughs> <laughs> we like we like excuses to talk to Dara. But in, 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 the, in the highlights of the information, something was a bombshell and and frankly, my heart sank and it's, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know that you suffered as an undergraduate. I, I know that your career early on was, um, I, how can we put this nicely uneven mm-hmm. and, um, this shed some light on it. Can you, can you tell us the story behind that and put it in your words?
1: So uh, I believe what you're speaking about is having suffered through an eating disorder when I was in college. Um, You know, swimming always came easy to me. I could step on the blocks. I can not have swum for two weeks and still break age group records. And that was just like when I was 11, 12, it was just really easy. Then I started to change. My body started to change. I became a woman. I realized that I actually have to work hard in order to do well and to try to make an Olympic team. So that's when sort of something clicked that I really had to start working hard in order to um, reach my goals. And so I went to University of Florida and um, I don't place any blame on the coaches for this. This was my doing. Um, But I had a coach, as you know, Randy Reese, uh, and I'm sure you know him very well. Um, He is tough. And one of the things that I loved about him and his program was that he would always think outside the box. And so we did some crazy training regimens that that even today, like people still mimic that he would create and we would do and just to try to make us the best that we can be. So one of the things in his thought process was... If an athlete looks intimidating on a starting block by how their physique is, then they will be psyched out. uh, And then, excuse me, the competitors will be psyched out um, swimming against you, so that was sort of what his his um, psyche was with how we looked as athletes, and so he decided that he would weigh us. And you have to remember, this was back in the '80s, and you didn't really hear a lot of people talking about eating disorders or you know weighing athletes wasn't a good thing. You know, I mean, we all heard about uh, Karen Carpenter, but it was still sort of. Under the lid a little bit, you know, even though her story came out, we didn't really talk about it. So, so in fairness to my coaches, I never revealed that I had an eating disorder. It actually started my freshman year in in college. Um, he would tell us that we were being weighed on Mondays on Sunday. I'd basically starve myself Monday, starve myself, go try to make weight, then run in the locker room and get something to eat and then go to workout. Uh, That's sort of what the pattern was. Then he heard that we were doing that and he decided, well, I'm just going to randomly weigh them during the week so they don't know and they can't starve themselves ahead of time. But it just got to the point where I really had this fixation on not eating and trying to make weight because as you know, Randy's background is a very tough coach. And I came from a background where um, you know I did what I thought was hard work, but really didn't know what hard work was until... I was on Randy's team. And so the last thing you wanted to do was do any extra practices. And the punishment for not making weight was to go the two mornings off a week that you had on Tuesday and Thursday and do what's called the breakfast club, another two more workouts. And I just didn't want to do that. I was exhausted as it was. And so there was a girl who I don't even think she was a swimmer. I mean, it was so long ago that I was in the lock in, in the bathroom in our dorms. And she just said, Hey, I heard you guys have to weigh, you know, if you do this and you do this, then. You don't gain weight. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, great. And what happened is it really just snowballed into a domino effect where it almost became an addiction where I couldn't stop. And it was it was really bad my whole entire career. Um, I remember when a big meet would come up like the Olympic Games in, in Seoul, Korea, I would see people just eating and I'd be so jealous that they can eat. And I would really just starve myself knowing that if I did binge and purge, it wouldn't be good for my swimming. So I couldn't do it like a month before or whatever. And so I had like this whole like weird sort of plan in my head of how I was going to do it. And it just really became an obsessive um, situation for me. And I think that happens with anyone who has addiction. My addiction was was either food or not eating food. And I I couldn't get out of that habit. And then finally, after I graduated from college, um, my mom had suggested that I go get a physical because I hadn't really gotten like a full workup physical. I mean, you have sort of those Small ones in college that you go to just to you know be able to compete, but this is like a full blown physical. And the doctor at the end was asking me a bunch of questions, and she said, "So, do you ever binge and purge?" I'm like, "No." And then she asked more questions, and that was it. I left, and I felt so guilty that I lied to her. I literally called her up right after. And I said, "Okay, well, I lied," and that was the first time I felt relief in four years of having this issue of being able to tell someone that I had this issue. Cause I felt like you couldn't really talk about it in that, in that day and age. And I know eventually down the road, I believe the NCAA made a rule that coaches weren't allowed to weigh athletes anymore. Cause there was a lot of eating disorders happening in, in college sports and not just women, but men also.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. It's, um, when I, when I saw this, I, it, it, it kind of caught me in my throat because, um, you know, I was, uh, Honored enough to be with you on, on the 88 team and the 92 team. And I'm, you know, we, you love Randy. I love Randy. Yeah. It's uh, Randy was the kind of guy that would you would travel to international meets with and you would sit down and, and he wouldn't be at a coach's meeting, he'd sit at the table and eat with you. And if, if I, when I was scared, I would, as a little national team member, as a little kid, I'd, I would try to sit at your table or sit at Randy's table just to feel okay. Yeah. So a good soul, but back then people didn't, this wasn't, a, this. there was shame around this. Yeah. We the, it was. We didn't know what it was.
1: No, exactly. And I feel bad because I feel like me talking about it sort of laid blame to Randy and it really wasn't his fault. It was, I was the one who binged and purged and I was the one, look, Randy's the type of person that like, he's a great guy, but to get a compliment from him, you really have to do something amazing. And so that's all I wanted was just, just to please my coach and to get a compliment. And so I thought, well, if I did this to lose weight, not thinking of the consequences, you know, maybe he will give me a compliment, but, but it doesn't, it's no, um, you know, disrespect to him. Like I said, it wasn't his issue. This was my issue. I should have been the one who was more open about it. Not like they could have, really done something in the eighties and talked to me about it and sit me down, but I, I should have been more proactive about it. And that's one of the things that I try to tell girls that the biggest step to, to get over something is to be open about it and talk about it, not be ashamed of it. And I was completely ashamed of it for years and especially in my college years and never spoke about it.
0: From what I know, when you get into this cycle, it's destructive and it's a spiral and it actually rewires your brain and, um, you're, you can't get out of it. It's, I mean, that's what addiction is. It's what's interesting looking at it from, from being a first person, first person reporting and now knowing this information and seeing you, you know, in 84, you were this talent that was just shot out of a cannon. And then in 88 to 92, it was like,
1: uh, where was the, I? Like it wasn't
0: you, the same he, person. Well, he, but there's a, you know, there wasn't, there was also this additional pressure, which was the, and nobody talked about it, but we, you know, we came off the 76 Olympics and with the East Germans cheating. And we know through, through, we, we knew in 88 that um, these, some of these, these, these athletes weren't racing yeah. clean. And I remember your anger. So it's like you have all these pressures to perform, which is impossible to compete against certain athletes. And, and, and you're, it seems like you, 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 you didn't, you did, there was, you couldn't do enough. You couldn't do enough.
1: That's a good way to put it. I didn't really look at it that way, but that's definitely a good way to put it. There, there was a lot of pressure and not only that also, you know, being myself in, uh, Jenna Johnson being the the top recruit's going into, you know, college, I sort of had a lot of pressure on me to perform well and I was lucky if I even made it into the finals at NCA's my first two years. I mean it was pretty bad. So there was a lot of pressure and it was, you know, I was far away from home and it was just I didn't know anything about eating disorders until that happened. And it, it was a very dark spot in my life. But it's funny because I got interviewed recently and someone asked me, and they said, well, if you can go back and change having had that eating disorder, do you think your outcome would have been much different? I said, yeah, probably would have been worse. And they're like, why? And I said, because... I wouldn't have had the longevity of the sport. Like maybe I would have done better in college and I wouldn't have stayed in the sport so long. So I'm also a firm believer that things in life happen for a reason and you learn from them. And I definitely, as much as I wouldn't wish what I went through with my eating disorder upon my worst enemy, I also learned a lot about myself and I became the person who I am because of having gone through that. So there's always ways to try to turn negatives into positives no matter what you go through in your life
0: you answered the you you answered my question which was i'm thinking in the back of my head you know i think that we would have seen 2000 2008 performance in 8892 and if we had you have a you have a really cool life you know you're fun and you you've done a whole lot of television you've done so many different things that are that are like you know you're a superstar and you probably would have started that trajectory sooner and, and not gone back to the pool because you would have, you know, you would have had your 12 medals. <laughs> and not, but it, that's it, It's very clear that we didn't see you as, as, as in your purest form until 2000, 2008. And that's, it's interesting that you you have this perspective on it now.
1: Yeah. We, I mean, if you'd asked me back then, it probably would have, would have been a much different perspective, but you know, it's funny because when I swam with Richard in 2000 with the Stanford team, and then just with him, uh, the, the one thing he said to me after my last event is I get out of the pool and it was my fifth medal and I get done with the the medal ceremony he's like you know what kid I said what and he said you haven't even reached your talent yet I'm like what are you talking about I'm already 33 years old like I am old I I, I didn't know what he was talking about and then you know I come back and, and I'm able to make the team again and and I, I started to understand more at a later stage in life and just having more maturity of what someone's one comment can mean, can mean no matter what they're saying. And so I think my perspective at 41 and doing it in no eight was a lot different than all the previous Olympics I'd been in.
0: You seemed uh, as you aged through your Olympics, it seemed like there was a full grown woman there and with, with a lot of perspective and wisdom, but what, and, and, and the full takeaway that I have from that is it seemed to me like I saw it seemed like there was joy. It seemed like there was joy in your performance. You really loved swimming at that time.
1: You know, it's funny because, um, you know, people ask me why I retire and, and you know this, like when you're a swimmer and you're looking at that black line for hours on end, years after years, day after day, you know, you get to a point where sometimes you're just completely sick of it. And in swimming, you either retire loving the sport or you want nothing to do with it. And it seems like the three retirements I had, you know, before I just did not like the sport. And every time I came back, I sort of found that renewed love for the sport. And I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed it so much, especially in 2008, is just I really loved what I was doing. There was no other ulterior motive. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything else. It's just that I love the sport of swimming and I missed it so much. And I think that's why you can see I had so much joy. And plus, I mean, let's be honest, I love competing too. That's like my favorite thing, but um, yeah, it was just really just a love for the sport that, that really, I think shined through.
0: You have that perspective now, but you, You know, as we're talking, we we have uh, we have some parents, we have women, young women, and and also young men, and uh, you know, frankly, they're listening and they're going through this. They're going through what you went through, and they're uh, and they're lost and they're ashamed and they're not talking to anybody. What do what do you have to say to them? If you could whisper to them, what would you say?
1: Is it's harder to hold it in and not feel good about what's going inside of you and then to talk to someone and just assume that they're going to think bad of you, that you have something going on in your life. And I think for me, I was so ashamed to tell anyone that I had this eating disorder. Um, you know, not only because it was something that was frowned upon, but I just, um, I knew that it was affecting my swimming and I was letting my teammates down and my coaches down because I had this issue, but The more you can open up and talk about it and know that people aren't going to judge you, the better you'll feel inside, the the quicker you can start healing, no matter what you're going through. And uh, that's probably the biggest thing I learned was, was it's okay to talk about something. And if someone wants to judge you, then, then, then they're not, you know, they're not on your team and you find people who are on your team who won't judge you and that will help you instead.
0: I can't imagine this landing at a better time. Once again, this is going to be, uh, this is once upon a comeback. It's premiering Monday, February 22nd, 9 PM Eastern standard time on the sec network. What I mean by this landing at at, at the right time is that um, we've gone through this pandemic where this, where athletes have been out of the pool and, um, and, I, and, I, and I've heard a lot of people complain. I've seen a lot of chatter among elites on, you know, whether you're in high school or you're a D1 swimmer or you're, or you're on the ramp up to the Olympics. And they're talking about managing their weight. And they're talking about getting in shape faster. And uh, people, people put on their Pandemic 20. And it's, um, I think there's a lot of pressure out there now. And I'm wondering if this, with all the additional pressures of the fact that we're living through a pandemic, might make this, um, might, this might be an added pressure. I don't know if you thought about that, but it seems. Yeah, it seems no, like I, it's
1: oh, no, I absolutely think it is. And, and you know, I think if, if I was going through it, um, you know, being an athlete that was, you know, trying to deal with the pandemic and trying to find a place to train and I think the only thing, like I try to turn negatives into positives, and it's not always easy to do that. But I think the only positive to think about is that everyone's going through this together. You're not alone, and um, that has to have some type of comfort, knowing that, that it's not just you. That everyone's trying to figure this out and trying to find out, you know, what can be best for them. So, um, you know, I think you just have to stay on top of it and 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 you know, whether you get help or, you know, whether it's from coaches or or suggestions from other people, or just to get out there and talk to people and find out what they're doing to get suggestions, I think is very helpful, but, but it is a little bit um, more relieving knowing that everyone's going through it. It's not just you. You're not going through it alone.
0: You know, this is, um, sadly we, we, we hear this story and oftentimes when we hear this story, there is no, there isn't, there isn't a second chapter. There is no moment where athletes come back and have, the career you had, the longevity you had—usually the bone density goes down. There's hairline fractures, and it's just like this cascade of health issues. And then the window passes, and the athlete's career is gone. And it's uh, when when you see when you see that when you see that in track and field, there's there's a there was an uh, was a there was an athlete on the Nike team that was this young superstar, and she was recently in a whole lot of publications. Um, I mean, does it, does that, is that like, does this, does your, do you zone in on it? Do you have a lot of emotion that comes up when you see this in the news over and over?
1: Well, absolutely. You know, I, I feel completely blessed. I think that, you know, we all have our different situations that, that we go through and no one knows what's going on and everyone else's lives. I know for me personally, when I wasn't swimming and I thought I was retired, I was always working out, not because I thought that. Um, I could, uh, you know, make a comeback. It was more so that just I liked what working out made me feel like how it made me look. And I think that definitely played a role in helping with my comebacks, because I always stayed in shape. And, you know, we all go through our trials and tribulations. Listen, I had knee surgery, I think it was like six months before Olympic trials in 2008. In January 2008, I had knee surgery. And um, before that, I had to deal with a shoulder surgery. And you know, you, you try to, again, like I said, a few minutes ago, you try to turn negatives into positives. And if you have other stuff going on, like say you had a knee surgery, work your core, work your upper body, try to find other ways to make yourself better. So you always have to try to find the positive in something and not the negatives. But yeah, it is it is sad when you see stories like that happen and you feel bad, but maybe their career is supposed to go in a different path. You know, like I, I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. You just have to sort of Figure out what that reason is.
0: I don't know how granular the the this documentary gets, but there's, there's usually a moment. There's usually a few moments in there and their bottoms, and there are moments where you're where you're like, if people knew this about my life, they they wouldn't believe it. Um, d- does the documentary get granular in that in that in that way? Do, is it, um, is it? Do you are there moments like that? Storied.
1: Well, uh, they definitely delve into everything. They, they they go from the beginning of my career to the end of my career. Uh, you know, they were with me for many hours. They were with my my mom, my brother, Mark Schubert. You know, they were with just different people. Um, you know, Bob Costas, who witnessed it from a television perspective. You know, they really got everyone to talk, and I was actually surprised at how much everyone talked. In fact, it's funny because they weren't going to. I think maybe show me the film. And then when they were talking about doing PR for the film, I'm like, oh, wait, we better show, show it to Dara so she knows what we're ta- she's talking about. Even though they interviewed me, I didn't know how they, they put it all together, but they they did a fantastic job with really getting into um, the bumps in the road that occurred, uh, sort of the, the highs in my life and maybe some of the lows in my life. And, um, just did, did a great job of telling the story. And there was definitely a moment when, um, you know, I was talking about my dad and making my comeback. And of course I start crying and, you know, so there was definitely a crying scene in there for sure. Um, you know, there was pro- they probably could have added more crying scenes, but they chose, know the one, which was good. So, you know, it, it, I'm not the type of person to talk about my life. I'm not the type of person to talk about what I've done. So to sit down with them for hours, I mean, it was hours that I sat down with them to do the interviews. Um, it was a lot and I was exhausted afterwards and I didn't know what they were going to use, but I'm hoping that some aspect of this film, um, even if you're not a swimmer will affect you somehow and maybe help you somehow. If you had something going on in your life and you didn't know how to get over it or deal with it. So that's the hope for me with this film coming out.
0: I, I, I want to see it just because I want to see you in, in the 1980s.
1: I think they took eight millimeter film from like my mom and, and converted it onto this, this film. So they really have old pictures, old film. They, they have a lot in there. So, um, they, like I said, they did a fantastic job.
0: There, there are there must be many different Dara hairstyles.
1: <laughs> Stringy and blonde was normally the hairstyle style for me, but yeah, there's different hairstyles. There's a lot of stuff in there, so um, I'll get a kick to, to hear what your um, perspective is on after after you watch it.
0: It's it, it's got to it, you know it's um and, and when you when you when you're a part of a documentary film. It's, um, it's essentially a memoir and memoirs are people that write memoirs or they're part of the documentary film process. They always feel like once they do this life review, they feel changed in a way. Um, it, Cause it's, it's weird. You know, you're, you're stepping outside of the bubble and you're looking at yourself. Um, was, did, did you have that feeling? Did you, did you learn something about yourself in this process?
1: I think that I've always been an open um I don't think that I just go ahead and just talk about things that talk about things. I mean, if someone asks me something, I'm a very honest person, will always give an honest answer. And so um, I think anything they asked me, they were pretty good about just saying, hey, are you okay talking about this? I said, look, you know, I I want to be an open book. So, you know, some of the issues that I've gone through, I'm sure other people have gone through and maybe I can help them. And so they were very good about asking me, but I also let them know that, look, there's really not a lot that's off limits here. And in fact, nothing's off limits. And they, like I said, they, they delved in. So, so it should be interesting to see what, what people think, because I'm sure there will be some things in there that people, you know, possibly didn't know about me.
0: Well, I begged to see the, the feature and they said, no, this is the, you, you can work from this. And I said, Oh, well I, I get to talk to Dara. So I guess that's okay. And, <laughs> I'm um,
1: psyched. I'm so glad that you uh, wanted to chat.
0: It's, it's a, I, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about your, your eating disorder, which, you know, frankly answers a lot of questions for me personally, uh, just being so close and seeing you in this first person experience. And uh but it's is, it's that's 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 one big bombshell, and you you talk about a lot of personal things. Is there um, and and um, we now know that you cry in your documentary. Is there anything else that might surprise people? Um, you could just tease it. You don't have to give it away.
1: No, I mean, there's Tessa was at the open of the film, so you'll get to see her sort of talking about me, and and you know they took her in a room and didn't let me hear, and they just wanted her to talk and not have her feel like, oh, her mom is there. So she better say something in a way that her mom approves of. So they just said, okay, Dara, we'll see you in a little while. We're going to interview Tessa. And so it was interesting to kind of watch Tessa, um, you know, talk on on the interview and talk about how competitive I am, because I don't feel like I'm that competitive around her, but I guess I am. I just didn't know I was. I mean, we always do like rock, paper, scissors and play some fun games. And I try to play games with her that you can't really – you know, be better to win. It's just a matter of mind or whatever. Um, but it was interesting for me to to watch her and hear what she had to say and about her thoughts of how competitive I actually am because I really thought that I was low-key with her.
0: <laughs> well, I'm not supposed to be biased, but I am biased because I love you. You're my friend.
1: Aww, I love long, you too. Ago,
0: and I've had two moments where I where I was where I, my heart was hurt. Now there's three. And we'll go back it it was, you know, it was, it was hearing about this and, and going, you know, wow, probably it makes sense. And it answers a lot of questions, but also back during 88 and 92, I'm like, you know what? I know that I know Dara has, Dara deserves more than this, but it was also 2012. (laughs) You you almost made the Olympic team for a sixth time. And when you didn't, I was, I was remember sitting up there in the stands, you know, I'm at the. I'm, I'm on the start on the starting line. And I was, if you've ever felt like you were in the race with someone, I felt like I was in it with you and you had a great trials in 2012. It was a great swim, but it was, uh, so this, so we arrive at this moment now in an Olympic year where you're being honored as you should be. And we're hearing your story again. We get everyone all excited about the Olympics coming up this summer. How are your emotions? Because you, know, you know you haven't had many moments to sit on the couch and watch the games.
1: Well, um, you know, going back to that 2012 when you're talking about the trials, that was tough. Um, but I think when you know, you know. And listen, I, out of all the previous trials I'd been to, I had swum faster in the 50 and one previous trials. And that was in 2008. So I couldn't really be upset like with my time. And for me, I think the biggest thing was trying to maintain the same time for, for all three times I had to swim it because the hardest thing as you get older is recovering. And I found that as I was swimming that year, my times in the morning were much faster than they were in finals and any meet I swam in no no matter how slow I tried to go in the morning, I could not go faster at night. So that was my goal was just trying to, get through those, the prelims the semifinals and the finals and try to do, obviously try to make the Olympic team, but try to at least maintain that time or go faster. So I realized when I finished that, that I was, that I was done. And I remember looking up in the stands and seeing my mom who was crying and seeing my daughter who was crying and knowing my mom was upset because, you know, her daughter didn't make a six Olympic team. And she knew that I was probably bummed. But when I went over to grab Tessa and hold her, I'm like, well, what's wrong love? And she's like, well, because you didn't make the Olympic team, I don't get to meet Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. And I'm like, oh my god, she's six years old. I am in trouble. Um, so, you know, but but you had that feeling sort of of relief, like knowing, okay, you know what, I, I'm done. I'm really done this time. And I don't think I had that emotion in any of the Olympic trials or Olympic games I had been in before. Like I said, I was done. But there was a different kind of relief I felt knowing that, okay, this time I am actually really done. So for me to go and watch an Olympic Games, even whether it's TV or in person, and I I did the radio in 2016, I didn't really have a lot of emotions because I knew I was finished after 2012. And it's kind of fun to See the torch passed, and seeing all these young kids up and coming, and and swimming so fast, and doing incredible times. And you know, when when um, Simone breaks my American record, am my bum? No, records are meant to be broken, and that's awesome that she's going faster than me. So I think I might have a little bit of a different perspective than some other athletes that retire, just because of what I've been through and how long I've been in the sport.
0: You sound content.
1: I I am. I was content. The minute I finished that 50 freestyle in 2012, I was okay.
0: We're talking to 12-time Olympic medalist, Dara Torres, the subject of the latest SEC documentary, Uh, Once Upon a Comeback. This is going to premiere Monday, February 22nd, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the SEC Network. Dara, do you have any parting thoughts?
1: Oh God. Um, I feel like all I've been doing is talking about myself promoting this film and, and with the film coming out. But um, I think if anything, you know, next week, the, the week that it premieres is um, eating disorder week. And um, I would just have to say with anyone who's dealing with something like that to, to not be afraid, like I said, a few minutes ago, not be afraid to open up and just tell someone and, and try to get some help because it's, the hardest step is opening up and talking about it. Not necessarily the process you have to go through getting the help. It's, it's the admitting the, the, the part that you actually have something going on. So that really is, is my parting thoughts is just, if someone has something like that going on, just, just don't be afraid to talk about it. And, You know, I'm excited about the upcoming Olympic Games and I'm excited to see, you know, as you know, there's always the names that always make the team, but there's always some young little whippersnapper that ends up making the team that no one's ever heard of. And I I can't wait to see who that is this time around. I I always find that very fascinating that all of a sudden this name appears on the team, like Michael Phelps in 2000. Like I had no idea who he was, Um, you know, just someone sort of out of the blue that makes a team that you just sort of is an underdog and you can't wait to root for.